Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 2 today for our study. We'll be starting in verse 12 in our reading today. John chapter 2, verse 12. As we learn about how Jesus cleansed the temple. In John 2, verse 12, John continues his report on the life of Christ in this way. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, have you ever been ripped off? (laughs) You ever been taken advantage of? Where you found out you were the chump? Where someone duped you into buying something or investing in something that turned out to be a complete sham? Perhaps you put your money in the candy machine and the piece of candy didn't drop down in that bin. I hate when that happens. Or you bought the new gadget you saw advertised on TV only to find out when you finally acquired it, it really didn't work the way it was advertised. Or perhaps you invested in an important relationship, but in the end it turned out to be a huge disappointment, a complete letdown, and even perhaps a betrayal. In a word, we are all longing for authenticity in all that we deal with. Of course, this is even more critical when it comes down to our relationships with other people. We are all longing for authentic relationships in our lives. And as you can imagine, more than all else, God wants us to be authentic in our relationship with him. This is especially true with regard to how we worship him. He's longing for our hearts to be truly devoted to him in real and authentic ways. There's perhaps nothing more important than this. But unfortunately, we often only want God on our own terms with what he can do for us instead of longing for him on his terms based on who he is and all that he has already done for us. My question this morning is, are you truly longing for his presence this morning? Isn't it sad that we often want people to be authentic with us while all the while we secretly choose to be inauthentic with others? Sadly, this can also be true in our relationship with God. We we want God to be authentic and real with us, but at the same time, 
We're not always authentic with him. Here in this passage, Jesus demonstrates a real authenticity and zeal for his relationship with his heavenly Father, and we need to do the same as we long for his presence in our lives. As we'll see today, as we long for God's presence in our lives, it's important that we spend time with Jesus. It's essential that we remember all that he has done for us. It's imperative that we radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God knowing full well that people will respond to our devotion to God in different ways. Some will challenge our motives. Some will misunderstand our words, but others will remember and believe. Our message series is that you may believe, the gospel of John. Today we're focusing on our longing for his presence, this gospel written by John the apostle, the very apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the 12 disciples perhaps the very best friend of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Again, this is John the Evangelist, not to be confused with John the Baptist that we read about in John chapter 1 and 3. We'll learn more about John the Baptist later. But the purpose of John in writing this gospel, in John 20 verse 31, he says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In our account today, it seems possible that there may be two accounts related to Jesus' cleansing of the temple. John suggests that Jesus cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, while the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, suggest that he cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. The descriptions of the events in either case are different enough to suggest two different events. Here's what's possible. If he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, as is outlined in John, the authorities might have been annoyed, but perhaps wouldn't think much of it. But if Jesus then did it a second time, three years later, it might have been the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And that led to the Jewish religious authorities to have Jesus arrested and crucified. The other possibility is that Both the Synoptic Gospels and John are referring to one and the same event with no regard for a thorough chronology of events, which is also quite common in Middle Eastern literature. So regardless of that, we have the account in front of us, and we're going to dive into it today. It's my hope that we'll see four spiritual principles from this text that will help us understand what it means to long for God's presence in our lives. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brief moment that we have to dive into your word and to hear what you have to say. And Lord, that is the case. We want to hear what you have to say, not not anything from this speaker. So Lord, we ask that you would be our guide, that you'd be our teacher today. Open our hearts and our minds to receive these truths. And Lord, open your word by the power of your spirit to us that we might hear the very voice of God men moved by the Holy Spirit who wrote these things, spoke from God. May we understand your heart on these things. Teach us, we pray. We ask all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined with you from what you received when you walked in today with the program, here's the first truth, the first of four. As we long for God's presence in our lives, it's important that we spend time with Jesus. That seems pretty obvious. But I want you to note what happens here in verse 12. Remember, he had just turned the water into wine, which was kind of a big deal at the wedding in Cana. That's what we studied last Sunday. 
But it says in verse 12 that after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Here, Jesus is establishing his ministry base in the region of Galilee at Capernaum. In verse 12, even though he and his mother are from Nazareth, Peter and John were from Capernaum. I think I have a map here. Can we throw that up? There it is. So you'll see that they went from Cana, the little line that's the horizontal red line, from Cana up to Capernaum on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And later in our passage, he's going to travel down to Jerusalem, and that's where he's going to be cleansing the temple. So now you know where we are. But with this, it's in this region that Jesus establishes a following. We see people longing to be with him, including his mom. His mother wants to be with him, his brothers, his family members, if you will, and his disciples, other followers who are now tagging along with this little entourage. I'd like to remind you that in Genesis 3.8, we are told that God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. You'll recall that it was prior to sin that humanity enjoyed God's immediate presence in their lives. And here's Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh, walking with his people, and it's a beautiful moment. It's kind of akin to going back to Genesis for a moment. But sin separated us from God, yet Christ provided a way for us to walk in his presence once again. From the beginning, by the way, this is all that God has ever wanted. This is why he created us, so that we would always be in fellowship with him, where he gets to be God, and we get to be his people. It's not very complicated. It's all he's ever wanted. That's what he created us for, to bring him glory and for us to be in relationship with him. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The whole, our world keeps saying, hey, go find joy over here, or happiness this way, that way. No, it's, it's in his presence. Are you here? You, are you longing for everything you want to get in life? It's in his presence. That's where you find it. You won't find it anywhere else. Believe me, I've talked to scads of people who keep trying to find stuff in life from everything else other than God. And every time, it's an empty basket, an empty bucket. Why? There's nothing in there. He's where all the fullness of joy is. Pleasures forevermore. Oh, that we'd seek his presence. And for us to do that, it's important for us to spend time with him. This is what we have to look forward to. One day, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Man, I can't wait for that. But that's what we have to look forward to. One day, we're going to be with him all the time. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Beloved, it's important that we spend time with Jesus, just like his family members were, just like his disciples were hanging out, even his mom. How can we do that even right now? Well, get in the Word. Read the Bible. Study God's Word. Hang on to every word he has to say. But not only that, but pray. Seek him in prayer. Spend time with your Savior. Find other godly men and women who will help you in your walk with Christ. Spur each other on. Challenge each other. Again, we're distracted quite a bit, aren't we? We're a distracted people. 
too much media, too much television, too much computer games, cell phones, focused on obsessions with hobbies, minimize the distractions. That's what we need to do. We need to minimize the distractions. I dare you, turn something off. Get alone with God and with his word. Prioritize the time. If you don't prioritize it, it's not going to happen. If you don't make time for God, don't expect anything to ever change in your life. Beloved, we need to spend time with Jesus, just as his followers were. But secondly here, as we long for God's presence in our lives, it's essential that we remember all that God has done for us. Now, this is kind of interesting. Look at verse 13. The Passover, the Jews was at hand, it says in verse 13, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And you go, why is he going there? Well, he's going up for the express purpose of remembering what God has done. He's going to worship with everybody else, his heavenly father. Here, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, literally to his father's house, to worship and remember what his father had done historically for the nation of Israel through the Passover. You can find that account in Exodus 12, 1 through 14. Here we see how God passed over the households that had the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorposts and the lentil and spared the lives of the firstborn. But in verse 13, Jesus purposed to remember what God had done. It is biblical and Christ-like to regularly commemorate God's work in our lives. We do that each month here through communion. We remember what Jesus did for us, and it's appropriate that we do that. At Christmas time, we celebrate the Advent when Christ came into the world. Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. These are things we should celebrate and remember. Remembering who he is and what he's done for us. Birthdays. Spiritual birthdays. These are things we should worship God in and remember all that he is to us. It's essential that we remember all that he's done. Have you thought about that lately? All that he's done for you? All that he's currently doing even right now? On your behalf? As he advocates for you before our heavenly father? Beloved, it's important that we spend time with him. It's important that we remember all that God has done for us. But thirdly here today, as we long for God's presence in our lives, it's imperative that we radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God. Don't miss this. It's imperative that we radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God. First of all, assessing our own hearts before God. Here in verse 14, as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, it says, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons... And the money changers are sitting there. Here in this moment, as Jesus looks at the temple grounds and he sees what's going on, he makes an assessment with what is going on in the temple. He discovers people taking incredible financial advantage of God's people. There are people who are ripping other people off, selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, money changers, tables, animals, pens, cages. And the gross irony here is the very arrangement that God had made for all of his people to ensure access to his presence. Remember, the pigeons were sacrificed for the poor, the sheep for the middle class, and the oxen for the wealthy. 
was now being used to build people out of their hard-earned resources and livelihood. Jesus is profoundly outraged with an extreme sense of righteous indignation. I want to paint a picture for you with what's going on here so you fully understand the deal. Because you kind of go, what's he so upset about? Okay, so here's Jesus. He comes to Jerusalem, the very Son of God. And he's there. And these people are coming from all over the place to worship God the Father. To worship, if you will, him. Because he's God incarnate. And so imagine a family from Macedonia, way up north. They've traveled for hundreds of miles to come all this way to worship. And, and so you can imagine this family entourage with some animals they brought with them to carry things and to bring provision, food, what have you. And they've traveled a long way. And they've got to town. And imagine the children, and they're, they're all excited. We're going to go up to the temple and dad's going to bring our lamb and we're going to sacrifice. We're going to worship God. It's going to be a great day. All the anticipation, the joy, they would be looking to go do this. And so they show up, and Jesus is watching this. And they show up, and the guy gets in line, and he's got this beautiful animal. It's the best in his flock. It's precious to him, and he wants to offer to God his very best. And he gets in line, and he gets to the front of the line for where they're offering the sacrifices, and the, and the high priest is there, and they inspect the animal, and they go, no, sorry, we can't use this animal here. Well, why not? It's my best animal. No. See, it's got a little blemish there. It's got a little spot. We can't use that. Yeah, but I came all this way and I brought this animal. My whole family's here. Yeah, well, what you can do is over there, there's some guys who can sell some sheep to you. You can go over there and uh, trade your sheep in for another sheep. Go, go take care of that and come back and we'll take care of you. Okay. So he now gets in line with the sheep people. And so he's waiting. He finally gets to the front of the queue, right? And he goes, hey, you know, um, could I trade one of my sheep here for one of your temple sheeps here, one without blemish? Could I do that? What are we going to do with your animal? We don't need that lousy critter here. Well, this is a really good one. It's my best one. No, we can't use that. But you could buy one. Oh, well, how much? Well, that'll be two temple shekels. Oh, okay. So he reaches in his coin purse and brings out his coins, and he puts some coins on the table, and they're from Macedonia. And the guy's like, we can't take this money. It's got Macedonian gods on it. We can't take that here at the Temple Works. Well, but this is the only money I have. Well, get in line over there, the next line, where you can change, you exchange your money for some Temple shekels. Oh, okay. So now he goes over to that line, and now you see what's going on here? And by now, you know, the exchange rate, you know, you got to pay a couple extra shekels, you know, extra Macedonian coins to get some shekels. So he finally gets that. Now it's getting late in the day. He gets back in the sheep line, and of course now the price has probably gone up a little bit because they're running out of sheep. You see, what? and, and here's Jesus going, what is going on here? How dare you? He is out. He's beside himself with a righteous indignation. Sometimes we have indignation, but it's not so righteous. Jesus is full of righteous indignation. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, he now literally cleans house. Beloved, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you now are the very temple of God. 
You're the temple. The power of the Holy Spirit's work in you. If you've given your life to Christ, the temple of God is within you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. And we have to ask this hard question. As the Holy Spirit indwells every believer, we too need to make a heart assessment with what we are allowing in our lives today. What is in your life that has to go? Are you willing to get angry about your own sin? Are you able to have a righteous indignation about your own failure? Enough so to do something about it? What do you need to do to get your house in order? Beloved, we need to assess our hearts before God. It is so imperative that we radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God. But secondly here, we then need to take bold action against the sin that's in our lives. At which point Jesus now moves with bold action. Verse 15, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins and the money changers, and he overturned the tables. Here we see Jesus taking this incredibly bold action in front of God and everybody, and he chases all these merchants out of the temple. And I ask you, what bold action do you need to take in your own life? He makes a whip. He drives them all out. He pours out the coins. He overturns the tables, the text says. Now for us, you know, we're happy to point out everybody else's dirty house. <laughs> we're happy to point out everybody else's dirty laundry. But what about your house? What about your laundry? What do you need to do to have a righteous indignation about the sin and filth that you're accommodating in your own life? What tables do you need to overturn in your heart? What sin do we need to chase out of our hearts and minds, dare I say, with a whip? Have you determined not to yell at the kids anymore? Have you chased anger and rage out of your life? Have you turned over your television and cell phone to God? What inappropriate relationships are you involved in? Men, have you removed the pornography from your life? Are you a person that's enjoying and relishing gossip? Have you put that away? Do you need to put the bottle of pills down or the bottle or can of alcohol away or put the tobacco or the weed away? Or maybe for some, we need to put the knife and the fork down. What's keeping you from worshiping God fully? What has to go? When I ask this question, I'm asking myself the same questions. We all need to deal with our own house what action do you need to take even right now? It's so okay in God's sight to have a righteous indignation over your own sin. You can be as angry as you need to be with your own sin. Our sins should be, move us to action in tears as we recognize how our sin disrupts our walk with Christ and our walk with others. All it takes is a little bit of sin to bring about a lot of pain and destruction. I've seen it just a little bit. All it takes is a little leaven to affect a whole lump of dough. Okay, I got to tell you a story. Long time ago, right before my oldest daughter was going to get married, just a few weeks before, I ended up with a problem with my foot. It was my right foot. I still remember which foot. And at first, I thought maybe 
I had like a planter's wart or something. I know, that's disgusting. Thanks for sharing, Pastor Brad. No, I, it, was, it seemed like something, it was just really kind of getting owie, kind of push on it, a little sore. It seemed like I got this wart. It was right on the heel of my right foot. And so I'm starting to kind of walk like this. And my daughter's wedding's coming up in a few weeks. And uh, uh, I've got to walk her down the aisle, and there's going to be colonial dancing, and I'm walking like this. And so uh, one of our elders was a medical doctor, so I called him and said, hey, I've got this problem with my foot. It seems like a ward or something. Is there, can I do something? He goes, yeah. Why don't you get uh, some compound W or something, put that on there, and hopefully that'll, you know, over the next few weeks, it'll take care of it. And so, all right, put that on there. And... Uh, you know what compound W is. It's like acid. It's now eating through my heel, through the flesh. And now it's getting really sore. And now it's, it's the week of the wedding. And I'm serious. I can't, I can't walk on this. And I'm supposed to walk her down the aisle. And I'm supposed to dance at the wedding. I'm not much of a dancer. But it's colonial dancing. That's better. And so I called the doctor and said, look, I, I've got this problem. I can hardly walk because this thing hurts so badly. What do I do? He goes, well, why don't you come down to the office and I'll take a look at it. All right, okay. So now I'm in the doctor's office. I got two buddies outside in the waiting room waiting for me because we're picking up chairs and stuff. And I just stopped in. I'm just hoping he can do something real quick. And so now, you know, I'm on the table, you know, and I've got my paper pillow, right? You know, those paper pillows that aren't worth anything. And I've got my foot up here like this, right? And he gets a big, like a magnifying thing and puts it in front of it, big light. He's now looking at it. And he goes, oh, oh, this isn't a wart. You got something in there. I'm like, I do? Yeah, we better get that out because now it's becoming infected. And I've been putting compound W on it. It's been eating a hole into the infection. This has not helped at all. Yeah, and so my doctor, he kind of wimps out and goes, I'm going to go get my colleague. I'll bring him in. Now, if anybody knows anything about me, I'm not good at this stuff. I don't do well with body stuff. I just, it's not my thing. I'm not a blood and guts kind of guy. So if you come up and say, hey, I'm just, let me show you my hernia operator. I'm going to pass out. You don't want to show that to me, okay? So I'm, I, I'm telling these guys, look, I'm not going to do very well with this. Whatever this is, I'm not, I'm not doing well. I said, it's okay, we got it. And so, so my heel's up in the air. I've got the, the paper pillow. And they go, what we're going to do is we're going to put some Novocaine in there. And then we're going we're gonna to cut it out and get it out of there. Okay. Uh, so he goes in, and, and I don't know if you've ever, like, poked your heel. Like, your feet are super sensitive. And I'm... I'm, I'm like ripping, I'm shredding my paper pillow now. And I'm screaming like a little girl, ah! You know, as, as, as he now puts the Novocaine in, and then he says, okay, now I'm gonna put it in deeper. Oh, great, thank you. So now he jams it in further. And I, my friends could hear me in the waiting room, okay? Some poor soul is dying back there. And they finally, they... Then he cuts it out, and my doctor friend who's been patting me on the back says, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. 
because his colleague's doing the work. He comes up on his finger and he shows me what it is, and it's the smallest itty-bitty thorn you ever saw. All that was causing incredible grief, pain, and agony from a little bitty thing. What's the big deal? Ah, that's the big deal. Put a band-aid on it, I walked out fine. I do a dance. It was great. Thank you, Lord. Understand that's how sin works. It just takes a little bitty thing, a little compromise. And you don't know what kind of infection and pain that's going to cause to mess you over until someone can help you deal with it. And Christ stands today wanting to help you deal with it. Beloved, as long as we long for God's presence in our lives, we need to radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God, assessing our own hearts before God, taking bold action against the sins, the sin that's in our lives. But thirdly here, demonstrating the meekness of Christ. The meekness of Christ? Did you notice the incredible meekness that was going on in here? This is amazing. Don't miss this little thought. Look what happens in verse 16. He says, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. In other words, in chasing everyone out of the temple, he used what was expedient, making a, a whip of cords in verse 15. And I imagine he even did this very coolly, very collectedly. He's not in a rage. like he, He's putting the whip together, taking care of it, getting ready. And then in doing so, he drives the sellers of sheep, the oxen, out. He knocks the tables over and the money's poured out. Did anybody lose any money? Nope, it's on the ground. They can pick it up later. Did anybody lose any animals? Nope, you can chase them down the street. Not a problem. In all of this, in his actions, he does not sin. There's no one who loses any property. No one is whipped. As a matter of fact, notice how he demonstrates this incredible meekness as he now comes to the sellers of the doves. And he says, I want you guys to take these things and get out of here. I want you to leave. Why? Why does he treat them differently? Why does he knock their tables over? Because if the cages open up, the doves fly away. Now we've got loss of property. Now he's sinful. Notice the meekness. Meekness has been described as strength under control. He knows exactly what he's doing. You guys get this out of here. And he handles them differently. Jesus demonstrates an incredible godly meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Jesus says. And I ask you, who do you need to exercise compassionate restraint in your life, your kids, your wife, your coworkers, demonstrating the very meekness of God? And then lastly, here, longing for his very presence in our lives. He makes this proclamation, verse 16, do not make my father's house a house of trade. This is not a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is my father's house. This is a place where people should be able to freely meet God without being ripped off or taken advantage of financially. God's house is just not a place of business. You'll notice that we really don't purpose to have yard sales and garage sales here, and we're not going to have a bunch of stuff out in the foyer for sale. 
We're just not doing that. We don't want people walking in here being under attack or under guilt trip about buying something. And I just ask you, are you here to do business with God today or do business for yourself? I was a state farm agent for 10 years over in Wisconsin, and I attended the church there, large church. We had, you know, about from like 400 to 800 people in the 10 years we were there. I never wants anybody in that church to buy any of my insurance. I never would ask them. I ended up insuring half the church anyway, but I never asked for it. They came to me by God's grace, but I was not there to try to sell something. It's my hope that Oakwood remains a place where people can freely come and worship and nobody's trying to make a nickel out of somebody else here. Let's not do that. In Matthew 21, 13, with the, the account Matthew has on this incident, Jesus says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. If we contrast this with what the psalmist writes in Psalm 84, 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of, of the wicked. Uh, this is where our heart needs to be. We need to be seeking after God. Notice how it says that he had a zeal for God's house. Oh, that we'd have a zeal for God's presence. Why does Jesus have a, a zeal for God's house? Because that's where God is. He's longing for his presence, the presence of the Father. Quoting from Psalm 69.9, for zeal for your house has consumed me. And I ask you, what are you consumed with? Jesus was longing for all of God's people to be able to freely come into his house to, to authentically worship him. He was longing for people to be in his presence. Are you consumed with having God's presence in your life? Beloved, we need to be consumed with him. Jesus was in fact consumed for us that we might be consumed with him with his very presence in our lives. Lastly, this morning, and this will go very quickly, as we long for God's presence in our lives, people will respond to our devotion to God in different ways. Some will challenge our motives. That's what happened in verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Basically, who do you think you are, you Christian? What do you th who do you think you are, Jesus? Turning all the tables over. Who gave you such authority? But there'll be those who question your motives as you walk with Christ in boldness. Some will misunderstand your words. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. You can imagine him actually gesticulating to himself. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, the Jews are confused with this. Well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. The ultimate irony here is that Jesus told the Jews precisely what the sign would be that demonstrated the authority by which he cleansed the temple, but they just didn't get it. No, guys, I'm going to rise from the dead. They confused Jesus' spiritual words with the limitations of their own physical perspective about the temple. Some will challenge our motives. Some will misunderstand our words. But others, as we devote ourselves to following him, as we long for God's presence, Others will remember and believe. Look at verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Beloved, as you clean your house today and as you 
allow God to do a work in you. Understand that there are other people who are watching. You don't live in a vacuum. People are watching to see if you're really legitimate, if you're really going to trust him with your life or not. Parents, your kids are watching you. Older brothers and sisters, your younger brothers and sisters, they're watching you. I, I looked up to my brothers and my sister to see if they would walk with God. I, I was still you know, looking up to my mom and dad all the way to the end. You don't live in a vacuum. How you live can make all the difference to what degree someone remembers what you said and how you live. It might help them even believe. As Canaan shared in this testimony, he doesn't know who the boy was who made the comment. But somehow, in Canaan's effort, he touched his heart. And who knows who you might touch as you walk with Christ. Are you longing for his presence? Or are you ripping God off? Are you ripping others off? Are you authentically longing for his presence in your life? Beloved, as we long for God's presence in our lives, it's important that we spend time with Jesus. It's essential that we remember that all that he has done for us, it's imperative that we radically remove anything that is keeping us from worshiping God, assessing our own hearts before God, taking bold action against the sin that's in our lives, demonstrating the meekness of Christ and longing for his very presence in our lives, knowing full well that people will respond to our devotion to God in different ways. Some will challenge our motives some will misunderstand our words, but others will remember and believe. Would you please stand as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible example of an expression of your righteous indignation. Lord, may we be incensed with sin, especially the sin that's in our own lives to such a degree that we do something radically to eliminate it, to make things right with you. Lord, we thank you that we can seek you. We can ask forgiveness. And as your word says, as we confess our sins, you're so faithful to forgive us. Oh, God, may that be our hearts today with whatever we're dealing with, wherever we are in our walk with you. Have your way in us for your purposes, God. And Lord, may we bring glory to your name as we long for your presence in our lives. Lord, thank you for attending to us with the truth of your word. And now, Lord, as we close our service and we uh, attend to a business meeting, we want to thank you for the food that we're going to have in just a few moments. And we ask that you bless our meeting. And lastly, I don't want to forget, Lord, we want to bring our youth group, our youth group before you as our youth group leaves this Friday, to go on a mission trip down to Florida. Lord, we ask your watch care and protection over our students, that you use Pastor Nick and his staff to touch the hearts and lives of your people, and that you use our students to touch the hearts and lives of those who need care in Florida after the huge hurricane. May they be used in a mighty way, and we ask for your protection and travel mercies, and that uh, we look forward to hearing incredible testimonies about what you've done in and through them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a great day. 
Thank you for all that you are to us. We pray all this in your son's wonderful, awesome name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.